Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder Sacramento Kings game. Gabrielle Deck, who went off in this one, and I'm also going to be doing a little bit of a lottery roundup because things are constantly changing, but just starting things out with the Thunder Sacramento Kings game. This one was a game in which, honestly, I did not think um, would be really a blowout for the Kings. I mean, when you look at the injury report, I even projected the Thunder to take this game. And here's the reason why. They did not have De'Aaron Fox playing in this game. He is doing COVID-19 protocols. Tyrese Halliburton was also out for this game. And the questionable case of Harrison Barnes. We did not know if he was going to be playing until just about an hour before tip-off time. They ruled him out as well. So you had just a gutted roster where you had DeLon Wright kind of being at the helm of things at the point guard position. Buddy Heald, we know him. He is a decorated scorer. Is he elite? Absolutely not, but he was kind of the star of the team. And then you had to kind of find support pieces to mix and match around him. So they had Mo Harkless in that starting lineup. And as we know in the front court, the Kings, they're actually pretty good there. So they had Marvin Bagley and Rashawn Holmes holding down the four and five. And even beyond them, they got guys like Damian Jones and even Hassan Whiteside, who really isn't brought out that much. But just starting the game out. This game started in the paint. It was all about Rashawn Holmes and Marvin Bagley just getting inside and attacking the rim. We know that Moses Brown, despite him being seven foot two and having freakishly long arms, like he's got about a seven foot four wingspan, he is not the biggest dude. He's just very, very lanky. So when you go in slashing, it's going to be an issue. And whenever you can try to stretch out the floor a little bit with Rashawn Holmes, who you know, he's very good at setting high ball screens. He's not particularly amazing when he gets out to like, you know, three pointers. He's not going to shoot them that much, but the mid range game, you might want to stay a little bit out. So you had to get Moses Brown kind of pulled out of the paint, coupled that with the defensive three in the key violation. And they were just going right at them to start the game out inside. And it was working out amazing for them originally, but the Thunder, they were still there through it all so yeah they were getting their layups but you know what the thunder were doing they were getting to the line and getting layups as well so they were just right there just waiting for their moment to kind of seize an opportunity and they were able to because midway through the quarter Darius Baisley had this amazing move against Mo Harkless and he was kind of taking a mice so I believe it was the left wing where he was doing this but originally He did like a between the legs, and at the same time, he's simultaneously stepping back. So he does a step back between the legs dribble move to create the separation, and then he just pulls the triple. It went in, and because of that, this game got knotted at 12 apiece through six, which honestly, that's not a high volume of points going up in the first six. Ended up getting boosted, though, because on the very next play, the Thunder were able to capitalize and take their first lead of the game. And then what you saw past that, including that first lead change, was kind of a back and forth. Because in that final five minutes, so actually, I take it back, not that one. But in the final five, you end up seeing three different lead changes and two different ties 
where no one really had the advantage. So just as you saw in the first six, seven minutes, you saw it in the back end as well too. But the main deal was the Sacramento Kings, they kind of fired off last. They finished the period on a 10-5 stretch, and because of it, they were able to lead 25-20 to leading into that second quarter. And when the second quarter started, you got the bench units going in for both sides. And for the Sacramento Kings, they were pretty drained. As I mentioned, DeLon Wright, who really has been one of their core members off the bench. And whenever you get Fox and Halliburton back, it'll be a little bit interesting. But as of right now, he's kind of been their primary six man. He ended up having to get moved into the starting lineup. So they had to have makeshift guys playing serious minutes. Justin James, for instance, Terrence Davis, who's pretty decent. He had to play kind of that six-man role. Damian Jones, who just got signed onto a multi-year contract, he was playing big minutes, so they did not have really a group that has meshed really that much throughout the season. However, on that flip side, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they aren't really dealing with any injuries. They had everyone playing except for those we already know, like the Horfords, SGAs, Muscalas, and on top of that, Alexei Pogashevsky. So they were good, and their second unit, has been pretty nice. We know the combo Ty Drummond's Fima Kailuk have made at that one and two. Now you're starting to see guys like Gabrielle Deck emerge off that bench. Jalen Horde, Josh Hall, Tony Bradley, Isaiah Roby. They have the goods off that second unit. And because of that, they were able to get very, very hot to start out the second. In the first three minutes, they went on a 10 to 2 run and they got the lead. It was 30 to 27 by that time and it was because Gabrielle Deck was playing initiator he wanted the floor to himself he was calling for isolations he was getting switches onto guys like Terrence Davis onto guys like Justin James and those guys those are guards who I think Terrence Davis is right over 200 and Justin James he's six foot seven but he weighs about 190 on a good day so he has a major advantage at 231 pounds where he's able to just muscle inside. So I think it was on Davis. He just took him from the post. He was at that left wing, probably 20 feet out, and just manhandled him. Put him in a body bag, got him right out of the way, and just got a beautiful looking right hook up and in. And then I believe there was another play like that a little bit later down the line. But that was kind of the main one that you saw. And you also saw guys like Fee Mikhailuk and Tydrome going in catch-and-shoot positions. Even had Svee slashed inside for a two-handed jam in there. So big momentum shifter there when it came to that second unit kind of coming in, punching in, getting the gashes, and taking back that lead. And it looked like that was going to be that. They might have been able to continue to capitalize, but just like the first kind of role reversal here, the Sacramento Kings, they were scoring too after that little drought they had. So they were the ones playing kind of piggyback. They were trying to kind of reclaim what they already had. And they were able to do that because the Sacramento Kings responded with an 8-0 run of their own. Started with two triples. One came from DeLon Wright. Another one came from Buddy Heald. And they also got right inside for their third basket in that stretch. And as halftime neared, the Kings, they just continued to build on to the lead. They were getting emphatic finishes in transition. I think overall there were about five dunks in the second quarter. And the majority of those went to the Sacramento Kings. 
and they were just doing it because they were punching the ball loose from the Thunder, or, you know, just crashing the glass and going right into fast break offense, and the Thunder were not able to keep up, so that's where they were getting a lot of points, and because of it, they got up double digits by halftime. They were up 56 to 46, teen off into that third quarter. And to start out the third, the Sacramento Kings, they kept that double-digit lead, and they actually built off it. And it wasn't like they were playing spectacular offense to begin that third. It was more of the defensive side they were doing very well on. OKC was rigid. They could not buy a bucket in that third quarter, especially in the beginning parts. They started one of nine from the field, and because of it, the Kings took a 16-point lead in the first three and a half minutes of play. So they were looking very good and looking to blow it up to 20 and beyond. But it really could not keep that way. And the reason was everyone was playing super close to the basket. We all know that's the highest percentage look you're going to get in basketball. So once the Thunder got out of it inside there, the Kings already were, you really didn't see the pendulum swing in either direction. It was kind of just at a standstill and you'd see it kind of get ticked up and ticked right back. Uh, so yeah, no real major runs here, but what it was was just those open looks. Five dunks in that second. There were only three in this third quarter, but get a load of this. 11 layups went in in the period and I think about 14 or 15 got shot so that just tells you how good of looks these were and how you know for an NBA guy that's not very much of a difficult shot to be taken even when you got a guy on you so that's where I guess what how many points would that be that is where 28 points came from in the third quarter and overall they only combined for 48 points so that's over half of the points just coming right around the rack but yeah I mean that's kind of what set the stage and I think the shot disparity is really what got you into the the score leading into the fourth quarter and the Oklahoma City Thunder I mean they were doing great inside um but the three just was not hitting they shot one of eight and all they had really to work with was Isaiah Roby Euro steps. They look beautiful, by the way. And Josh Hall, he was just going right inside the teeth of de- uh, the defense to to get some baskets there. So those two were really good bright spots. You know, there are much more I could detail, but I think those were the two that I kind of jotted down on my notes. As you know, these guys had a pretty good third quarter given um, what they had. And for the Kings. It was actually much more of the same. Very cold. Even worse from the uh, than the Thunder did from downtown, actually. They shot 1 of 12 from beyond the arc, but it was still about just the ground and pound offense right in the paint. And even though they had four more field goals attempted at that three, they were good because they outscored the Thunder 20 to 12 in the painted area. And that's really all this one came down to. In that third quarter. So they were able to have a 12.81-69 point lead. Leading into the fourth quarter. And this is a scenario the Thunder have been in countless times this season. Happened really any game you want to date back. Probably since April. The Thunder have been down double digits. And when you kind of check the scorecard and see. They normally have a push. And in some cases you know they're, they're just short. Or they get over the horizon and actually take the W in some of these cases, but they're always kind of playing from behind. Completely different from what we saw from the, you know, the PG, the Paul George Carmelo days where we'd be the ones giving away the lead 
and he'd be to a really crappy team. And now you're like, there's no way we win a championship. It's a complete opposite now, where they're playing from behind, and they will scrap together a pretty nice run to make a push. And that was the hope entering the fourth quarter. And that's what it looked like, but not to begin, because the Sacramento Kings, they had more triples in the first three and a half minutes of the fourth than they did in that whole third quarter. They got two of them to go in, and they still were getting it done inside. So they fed it off the thunder through those first three minutes and 30 seconds. But but the real question was, could they remain up top double digits? They let the thunder in for like a sole possession in the sunrise parts of the uh, the fourth. But, I mean, if you want to talk about leads, the Suns, they were up double digits for their, the first 10 out of 12 minutes in the last game. And what did it come down to? It came down to the final play of the game and a couple botched calls. So you can't really be sure, you know, if you're still up double digits, that's great. But, you know, this is not like a, a baseball or a football where it kind of takes a long time to develop a play or it's very rare. You're just going to instantly get a score. This is basketball where, you know, up and down, you're going to be getting points close to 50% of the time anyways. So, I mean, you can't really get a cold stretch or else the other team is going to capitalize and hell, they might as well just take the lead back. And that is exactly what happened to the Sacramento Kings because they could not hit their shots and Oklahoma City in turn got an 8-0 run to get the game down. They whittled it from single digits. They kept scoring after that 8-0 run. What did you see? The game was just down to four and it was through a Darius Baisley straight away top of the key three-pointer. But the fun did not end there because right after that, you ended up seeing a Darius Baisley three did not fall in, but off of the miss hit back iron it went right to Moses Brown. We've seen him go crazy on these offensive goaltendings, but whenever it's in his spot and it's not above that cylinder, you're good to go. He is probably one of the best uh, in the league. I'm not sure about the league, but he's he's definitely one of the better ones we've seen go through the franchise. Had to tap it right back in, and now you were looking at a one-possession game just inside the two-minute mark. You had a one minute and 47 seconds to go. And Sacramento, on the ensuing play, they missed their shot. They did not even get a clean look off. So the Thunder had the ball with a chance to tie or even take the lead. And you saw the Thunder slow down. They didn't want to go into the fast break offense. Wanted to get into the half court. We saw a little bit of success with it in the second half. So they wanted to go with it. And Teo Maladone was the guy surveying the floor. So he's about... 32, 34 feet back, kind of around that top of the key area. And to the left, I think he ended up seeing, I think it was Darius Baisley who was over at the left wing. But he eyeballed him and he tried throwing that cross court pass. Was not going to work out. DeLon Wright was all over it and he ended up just picking the pocket. He got right in that passing lane and he just took it all the way. Ended up pulling off a beautiful cross-court reverse using the glass finger roll. It's good to go. And the Kings end up getting back up to three points. And then it became the Thunder kind of searching for a response. And they went right back to the hot hand in Darius Baisley on that very next play. So Darius Baisley, 
He just went full guns blazing. He had a little bit of opportunity to drive, drove left, and he was just gone. He was not going to let anybody stop him. Drove in about three guys, and off of it, he was able to get an and one play, driving right in a buddy heel. He picked up the foul and got the basket to go right in, and off that free throw, he stuck it, so it was just a one-point game. And with 109 remaining, this was wide open. This was not, you know, a simple Kings can get saved by the bell. No, this was, you're going to see three to four more possessions. And it's clear as day who has the momentum. And it was going to be the Oklahoma City Thunder. So on the very next play, Rashawn Holmes had an offensive foul. Just took off about 18 seconds. So the Thunder... They got the ball, and they were given a chance to take the lead. So you saw a timeout by Mark Dagnall. He wanted to reset the offense, advance the ball, and it went right to Darius Baisley yet again. And he wanted to go right back into attack mode. He slashed in for another layup, and he was not able to get it in. Got smacked by DeLon Wright. And off of it, the Kings were able to get the defensive rebound. 37 seconds remaining. Got the full 24 seconds left. And they had time to just drain the clock if they wanted to go for a two-for-one play. If that wanted to be their strategy. Or just, you know, not even have a game plan and see what happens. Right? And you go into this kind of half-court set again. And DeLon Wright is the one who has the ball, and he was whittling down the clock, he wanted to make it kind of as low as possible, but then he saw his attack again, and it was another reverse layup, same setup as usual, hits the glass, and soft touch, basketball goes in, it's a three-point game, and Oklahoma City only had 18 seconds to go, so what you had on that final play, beautiful drive in, I believe it was created by Teo Maladone, and he found Isaiah Roby, 26 feet out for a three-point shot, and he missed it. He missed the three. Probably one of the more suspenseful moments we've seen all year um, for the Thunder because of all the kind of stuff um, that's going through the lottery right now. So this was a shot that if they made it, you probably would give them the, the odds to take the game, but with the miss, it'd pretty much be over with them. So he shanked it. Rashawn Holmes got the rebound, and he ended up getting fouled by Lou Dort. So Rashawn Holmes gets up to the free throw line, 4.3 seconds to go, and he misses the first. So going up for that second, if you make it, it's going to be a four-point game. You say goodbye, miss it, the Thunder get another shot at it. And off that free throw, he drilled it, and that was pretty much it. Oklahoma City on that other end of it. They were able to get up a pair of shots, actually, and it started off just like we've always seen. Isaiah Roby, off of the advanced basketball, shot another, like, 26-foot three, got smacked out of the oblivion by Mo Harkless, and then it was kind of just the game was over. Lou Dort picked it up, shot a 43-foot desperation heave, wouldn't have mattered, didn't go in, and Sacramento got out of there with a 103-99 to victory. So with it, the Sacramento Kings are now 28-37 on the season. They are looking, if they want to go that way, to get to a play-in spot. They're three and a half games back right now of the Warriors, who I believe have the 10th spot. 
So it's a bit rough for them if they want to be able to crack that. Um, also, same goes with kind of the the tanking lottery standings. They're about two and a half games back of, I think it would be the the seventh spot, yeah, that they'd be hunting down. But yeah, they're, they're kind of in the midway point right now, so they need to find some sort of direction. For the Thunder, we know what the direction is. They are going full-blown tank, and with the loss, they became the sole owner of the fourth best lottery odds in the league. This is obviously going to be subject to change because the Magic, they play tonight. Honestly, I think they're probably going to lose their game, so it's going to be a tie, most likely. And you still have the Cavs you need to talk about, too in their contest but as of right now the thunder are in that four spot they're 21 and 45 on the year both orlando and cleveland they have not played enough games they are 21 and 44 right now so there's a half game lead and when you look in comparison to the minnesota timberwolves you're just a half game back and for the pistons you are one and a half games back so both those guys are still kind of in your peripheral right now definitely the timberwolves the Pistons, they are, they're one where, you know, maybe, maybe you could catch up if they are able to catch, uh, catch a W or two. I'll go into them in a second, but yeah, I mean, with them, it's kind of a, kind of a funky case. I think with the Timberwolves, though, we know that they aren't really looking to tank right now. They want to see what they can get out of Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell when they're both healthy, so we can probably jump them, but that was a game that the Thunder definitely needed. I mean, a win there would have almost just crushed their chances because I can tell you right now, I don't think the Magic are going to win another game. And I think the Cleveland Cavaliers, even though they have a couple of kind of energetic guys and Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and um, even Jared Allen when he's healthy, you can even try to toss in Isaac Okoro. He's very good on defense. They have those guys who can kind of turn the game upside down and snag a W, but I just have not seen it lately from them. I mean, they have lost seven straight games and I don't really intend that they're going to have one of these like out of nowhere games like the Thunder did against the Celtics. I could be wrong and I hope I am, but I don't know. I think both the Magic and Cavs might be done. Only real asterisk is when the Orlando Magic need to take on the Timberwolves. And then you kind of talk about the same situation with the two names above us too. But yeah, I mean, that Roby play, that was a pivotal play where, you know, in your heart, you found out whether or not you're a tanker or you actually want the team to be winning right now. As silly as it sounds, I mean, that's just business right now. If you saw that shot go up by Roby when it was a three-point game and you wanted it to go in, it looks like you're not really trying to be tanking. And I get it. You want to see some good basketball. And I think that this year in particular, just tanking teams, there's a lot of people who, you know, they just kind of get home from work and, you know, they sort of pop on some television. They're a Thunder fan. They say, hey, they're playing the Kings or they're playing whoever. They're playing the Pacers. You see them get blown out by 40 points and you're you're just disgusted. You change it to whatever's on TNT, the ESPNs of the world, you're the primetime TV where you're going to see someone like Giannis or whoever it is. And that is fine. I understand it because it is kind of a sucky process. We haven't seen it in really a decade's worth of time. Last time we saw it was their first year in 2008. So it makes sense why people wouldn't want to watch it. But for those who want to watch every single game and want to see the details of what's going on, I mean, props to you because this has actually been a really fun season for me. 
And if you're kind of looking intently, you probably already know the statistics in terms of our picks. So you might be on that tanking boat too. And hey, I'm on that boat too now because I understand, you know, the value of the top five picks in this draft class. I'll get you guys some kind of previews as we near the lottery and such. But it's going to be a pretty big draft class in that top five. So we want to make sure we get high odds. That miss there, even though it sucks, it's the best for the long run. And, you know, we could get the seventh or eighth pick and that shot wouldn't matter. We wouldn't talk about it. We're probably never going to talk about it anyways. But if we get like the first pick, are we hopscotch? You might be able to look at that play as one of the biggest plays of our season. And I'm not even saying that as a joke. I'm being dead serious so big play there and you know coming a little bit short of the victory it's probably gonna help us in the end but when you look down the line of this game it wasn't really all sunshine and rainbows for either side the kings did not play that well i think luke walton probably is not gonna be satisfied even though they didn't have three of their probably top four guys on the roster they only shot 41 percent from the field and from three only shot 28%. They went 13, or excuse me, they went 12 of 43. That's very, very bad. And with that, I mean, their only real thing they could rely on was the fast break department. And it was how they were able to just run in transition. They outscored them 21 to 11 in the game. And they just had an even code of guys who were able to do that. They had seven different players who got double figures in the game, and they had two guys who got 18. That was a team high. And those performances came from Buddy Heald and Terrence Davis. So kind of that front runner on the starters and the front runner on that second unit, they really emerged and put the team on their back. For Heald, he shot 5 of 16, but all five of his hits came from downtown. So that's where he made pretty much all his money. And then he also got three of three free throws to go in got a double-double with 11 rebounds too. And when you look at what Terrence Davis was doing, he shot 6 of 13, only played 31 minutes to get there. So he was kind of, I mean, I guess 31 would be a pretty decent amount, but given, you know, the fact he's not really high in that pecking order, he got a pretty good amount of shots off just in general, and he went 3 of 8 from downtown, so pretty good. And then rebound-wise, he had 5, also had 3 assists. When you look beyond that, it's just a lot of bigs kind of chipping in with, you know, like 12, 13, 10 points. But I think the one you probably want to look at is DeLon, right? Because he almost had a triple-double. Had a lot of those pivotal plays down the stretch with those two beautiful reverse layups and ended the game off with 13 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists on the game. But get this, he had 4 steals and 4 blocks too. So he was the jack of all trades, and he might just be the player of the game for them. For the Thunder... There's a couple guys you could probably say could be player of the game, and it starts with Darius Baisley, and he was kind of one of the bigger bright spots on the roster, because the Thunder overall, they only went 35.7% from the floor, it's one of their worst we've seen all year, went alright from downtown, shot 31% on 11 of 36 shooting, and they had 21 assists to 14 turnovers, but the shots weren't flying in. Darius Baisley was the guy who was able to put a lot of them in, and it was coming from right around the rack. And even from downtown. So we got 24. That's a game high. Went 7 of 18 to get there. And he also had 11 rebounds. But the big deal was he also hit three triples out of those seven. And when he was driving, he was driving in extremely hard, man. I think it was Andrew Schlecht of Down and Dunk who asked him 
this question post game. But it was along the lines of, you know, how did you kind of unlock your second layer of just finishing around the basket? He didn't really, basically didn't really give like any real key points. Just kind of just, you know, practicing and keeping at it. But I mean, he definitely has. It's the biggest area of growth we've seen from him. And those just that big and one kept them in the game, had 10 points overall in that fourth quarter. And then whenever he was able to get those crazy like between the legs step back threes it just got the defense kind of on the edge and that's how he was able to really just put a big hole in their defense and lead to a lot of lapses for some good looks to the other players but I really loved what he was doing I mean Baisley emphasized how it was a 48 minute game that's what Mark Dagnall has kind of been relaying to them all year long alongside of um, you know the zero and zero mentality we heard in um, the Phoenix Suns game too. So a lot of the, these messages kind of getting sent to them, but it sounds like they work. So he got empowered by it. He did pretty good. And I think Gabrielle Deck did amazing too. I have him in the title for a reason. This was kind of his breakout game. Had 16 points off the bench, only played 16 minutes on the game. He played the least amount on the team, but he was the best player on a basis of that sample size. Oh, yeah. No one could guard him. He shot five of seven from the floor, got three rebounds and three assists to go along with it. But he was just all about attacking the basket. And it's just his aggressive play. We saw it in the Real Madrid tapes. Even when you're looking at the LMB highlights, the very few you could see, he was still very, you know, vicious when driving through the lane. And we've seen it now. You know, it's not like he is. Um, I know I always make terrible comparisons, but like a Diallo guy where he'll get that crazy first step and he'll just stampede inside the basket. He kind of needs to wind up and even then at full speed, he's not going to be posterizing anybody. Maybe compare him to like his FEMA Kyluk or something like that, but he's not that fast, but he makes up for it with IQ and just that build that he has. So he was getting those ISOs as I talked about, getting the guys in Terrence Davis and Justin James matched onto him. And just had a post up, got the post hook, and even had a post fade. I think it was on Justin James he got it off on. But then one of the other key points with him was he was very quick. And I think his reaction time on some of these layups is is better than what we've seen from anyone on the team this year. And I'm specifically talking about this one play. Loose ball right below the free throw line. Teo Maladone snags it, and about five feet ahead of him is Gabrielle Deck and he has about three feet of room from I think Marvin Bagley or something but if he had the ball he'd be able to dunk it in but there wouldn't be a lot of time because he had to close out just going in fast Maladon threw it in and Deck had to kind of go down to grab the ball and that's when you saw the closeout come in and a potential chase down block Deck just flipped the ball up and in like in a matter of no time and there was just not a block there <laughs> even though there probably should have been and then on like a catch and shoot three, he has a pretty ugly jumper, set shot and contested not probably going to work. He, he was open, moderately open, and he just got it and immediately just chucked it up like a robot. Nothing but net just cashed out. And on top of it, there were still some backdoor cuts where he did extremely well. And looking beyond, you know, his fourth game, he, he has a lot of these like crazy, just athletic plays where he spawned out his body to get layups in he's throwing behind the back passes for the fun of it 
just those plays that you don't see. And I think he's really good at not just passing, but handling the ball as well. So this was definitely a major hit for Sam Presti. He could be terrible for the next, um, I guess, what, we have six games, six, seven games left. He could be terrible for the rest of them. He'd still be guaranteed for next year. He just has so much room to grow. And with him pretty much being our best guy on 16 minutes, he should probably just keep his... um, keep his little rotational piece growing and growing, but yeah, I mean, he was great, this was a performance where Baisley even commended him, said how good of a fit he was, playing great with his passing, rebounding, and he didn't mention it, but obviously scoring, and this comes after Ty Jerome in the last game was talking about how he really loved him despite the language barrier, he always seemed to kind of know what was going on, made the right plays, He's going to be a very good piece, and you know whether it's long-term or we might haul him off for a young guy, we don't know yet, but as of right now, just really enjoy him because you know if he's going to be here along the rebuild, he'll be a scary piece to kind of go along with some of the other European guys with a lot of ball handling skills and Pogoshevsky and Teo Maladon, so he was lovely. I thought Moses Brown was great too. Offensively, not great. Um, had six points on three of eight shooting. But the big deal with him is the rebounds, and he had 17 of them. Seven of those came offensively, and I did not think he'd be able to hold up against Rashawn Holmes, to be quite honest with you. thought maybe against uh, Marvin Bagley he'd be good, and then Damian Jones, I thought that was about even. Hassan Whiteside didn't play, so that was good. I think Whiteside's kind of just fallen off a cliff anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, he just killed um, Damian Jones and Rashawn Holmes offensively. And that's how he was getting a lot of those buckets. I mean, I talked to you about the putback, had another, uh, I think second chance basket in there too. So he didn't really have to be much of a high ball screen roller guy. I think that was more of just Baisley's job to carve in the, the lane and find a kick out. And even with deck, he just wanted pure ISOs. So I thought that, you know, with that, he was very great. And this is the second game where you've seen him kind of go crazy, rebounding wise I know he had 18 in either the last one or the one before that losing a little bit of time here we got games every single day almost so um but yeah I mean he just keeps getting rebounds and that's why he's gonna get another contract with someone you know if it's not us someone's gonna want to take this guy and see what they can do with him kind of refine his game a little bit and Lou Dort we're keeping him he needed to refine his game for this one, though. He shot really bad in his return. Shot just 3 of 16. And he's probably the reason we end up losing this game. Because he just destroyed the percentages we had. Went 2 of 8 from downtown, too. Only had 10 points to show for it as well. So he probably needs to put this one in the past. Get geared up for the Warriors game. And that'd be that'd be that. And um, I think two guys who... I don't know if they're going to be playing much when Poku comes back. But now, I love them. Uh, it's Jalen Horton and Josh Hall, the two two-way guys, and I didn't really think too much of Josh Hall. We haven't seen him much, but I know Jalen Horton. I've been on the fan club since he played for the OKC Blue whenever Poku got moved up in the final like two, three games, but Jalen Horton was great. Uh, he had, I think he had nine points, and Josh Hall had seven points. They both had seven rebounds apiece, though, off the bench, and all the attacks were just great. I mean, Jalen Horde's a lot more calculated when he goes up. He'll go up for like up and unders. He'll get you biting and then he'll just take you right in. And Josh Hall is just, he'll grab it. And he wants to play point forward. He's kind of like Baisley off that bench where he's very springy. And you'll see some pretty bad misses on layups. But, 
you know, he'll rattle him in, and he's got a decent touch, not amazing or anything, but he was hot, so I say both of them were really good, and then uh, outside that, there were still some guys who were like fringe double digits, but and I, I thought those were the, the two guys who really outplayed um, what their expectations were for the game, but moving on for this one, the Thunder in tomorrow's um, podcast and just tomorrow in general, they're facing the Warriors, they're 33 and 33, obviously the pick. You know, it's going to be top 20 protected. We're not going to see that, most likely, because they got to pass the Lakers to even get there. So I don't know if we're really going to see their pick anyways, but we're going to face them. Even despite that little tidbit, we want them to win the game. We want to keep our losing streak going. So that's one you'd probably root for that occurrence. It's going to be starting at 9 p.m. Central, though. So a little bit wonky. Um, so it's going to be a late one. I love them. You guys, I honestly don't know. Maybe some of you guys do. Maybe some of you guys don't. But just gear up for that one and um, get uh, get ready for a late, late finish. But, uh, you know, the little ramifications that it talks about with the lottery, I mean, they are fourth. I assume by tomorrow's episode we're going to see the Magic probably tied. I don't know about the Cavs. I don't know. There's, I mean, there's a couple other games played tonight that... Um, I could honestly see going the other way. I mean, the Timberwolves face the Grizzlies, and I think with the way the Timberwolves are playing, they'll probably be able to make it at least close. I don't know about a win, but they'd probably make it close. And the Pistons, they don't play tonight, but in yesterday's game, they made it extremely close to the New Orleans Hornets. You had Hamadou Diallo go off for 35 points, and behind that, you had another Thunder alum in Frank Jackson, who got 14. Sekou Dumbayao had 20. They barely lost. Lost by three points to the Charlotte Hornets. So you hope they're able to snag a W in the next game. That's why I mentioned at first when the Magic won, I thought, you know, maybe that was a bad idea because I think the Pistons could win some more. Now with us knowing the Magic probably aren't winning again, that was probably the good result because we know there's some room for them to move up. I don't think the Magic are going anywhere. So that's just my take on it. I'll have some more takes for you guys tomorrow. Get you guys a game preview against Steph Curry, Draymond Green, all of the Bay Area gang, and just anything else I got to talk to you guys about. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.